0: Welcome to Life Radio, where we practice collective reflection on modern life. I'm Maureen. I'm Danielle. And I'm Lawrence. Each episode, we choose a topic, find a question, and dive in. Today, we're reflecting on creative blocks. Today, we are going to talk about creative blocks. We've all had them. It's a problem. There are ways to get around them. So... What are your questions today about the topic of creative blocks? What comes up for you?
1: So Danielle and I used to work together, and <laughs> we used to have all these conversations about blocks. And so one thing that's coming up for me now is, to your point, like, what are the ways that we work through our own creative blocks? So that's one idea.
2: And also even the idea that there shouldn't be blocks. Ooh. Ooh. Mm.
0: So the framing of creative blocks as a problem is maybe problematic. <laughs> Very problematic. <laughs> Very meta there.
1: So meta, so fast. <laughs> it's those deep breaths.
0: Mm, that's interesting.
1: <laughs> hmm. So maybe another angle is, or not an, not an angle, maybe we should talk about this anyways, but like what is a creative block? Mm. Like what is it actually, like how do they show up for each of us? Because I know some of mine have been surprising.
0: Yeah. And that, for some reason, is making me think about, like, what is the role of creativity in our lives? In, like, who is considered a creative, quote-unquote? Because even if you're not in the particular industry, like, you know, you're not an artist or a musician or something, there's ways in which, in my work as a consultant and a facilitator and someone who designs collective, you know, collaborative process, I need to be creative. So,
2: Yeah, maybe there's some question about what role does creativity play in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, and I wonder even if there's a distinction between our creativity and our life force itself.
1: Ooh. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So that question was, is there a distinction between our creativity and our life force?
2: Or how are they linked? Yeah, because you notice that there are millions of people in the world right now using creativity to survive. And... We have these worlds built up around creativity being an object that someone creates, but we don't fully recognize the ways in which getting to work for some people is a tremendous act of creativity. Right. Yeah, that's real. And so what does it mean when our life force is blocked? Right.
0: Right. And then what are practices that we have found to be useful in unblocking it or unleashing creative energy?
1: Oh my god, this is so good. <laughs> I can like feel it in my stomach. Ooh,
0: that's a sign. <laughs> it's,
1: a, it's a really good sign.
0: Do you feel your creative life force in your stomach? Is so like much
1: creative life force. It's just like ready to get going.
0: So what's the question here that seems to encapsulate where we're headed with this
2: that we want to pose to ourselves? How to unleash life force? Ooh, okay.
0: Hmm. How can we unleash our life force?
1: Wow. <laughs> okay. So, well, Danielle.
2: <laughs> yeah, do we do it, Danielle?
1: <laughs> We're waiting. We're looking at you.
2: <laughs> I've been working a lot lately with the early stages of creative process and thinking about it particularly from the perspective of voice. You know, how do we use our voice to just be seen for whatever is happening for us? And one of the things I've realized, I would say, in the past six to nine months is how important it is to have small, closed, tiny audiences of people who I would say anything to, to unleash my filters and blocks. Because we're in this time where everything has a global audience or the so-called potential for a global audience. And so that in itself can create a block because you don't know who you're talking to anymore. Whereas if we build small communities, and this could be around a writing project, this could be around entrepreneurship, this could be around people supporting one another just in life, right? But I'm noticing that in this time of massive audiences, the most important thing to my creative life force is tiny audiences of people who love me.
0: That's, really interesting. I have a coaching client who's an amazing writer, and she's really starting to get bigger in her writing. And one of the topics that comes up is, you know, what happens when the trolls come? And I think that there's a way in which, you know, the internet has been amazing in terms of being able to reach larger groups of people and audience, you know, you can connect with audiences who you don't maybe have a personal relationship, but there's a dark side to that. And the fear of what can be unleashed when people who don't know you, you have no relationship with them, and it's all anonymous, right? So people feel free to say things they might not say to your face. I think fear about what can happen with that is a creative block for a lot of people who want to be putting their work out into the world, but actually don't want to have to face that that shadow side of the internet.
1: Yeah. So as i think about my creative blocks and how fear shows up in them i do think fear is pretty consistently at the root <laughs> of all of them even though the the manifestation of that fear could look totally different like sometimes it shows up as like oh i'm doing the work but i'm not publishing the work and the fear is around like it being seen and sometimes it's doing and publishing the work but not producing what i know i need to be producing right like i'm producing like a baby version or like the safe version of the thought that i am actually having but the fear is like anyway so fear is there but it it shows up in two different ways
0: playing it small
1: yes playing it small and so i guess this is just making me think like is fear yeah is fear at the root of all creative blocks or not And this is going to connect back, I think, to the life force conversation. But before we're getting there, I want to talk about, yeah, the block.
0: Yeah, I think fear is a huge block for a lot of things in life. And the more I do coaching, the more I've come to see that this is true. But I do think there's other things. Uh, I'm thinking about an example, actually, from earlier this week. And a lot of my work requires very analytical thinking. And I had set aside a day to work on a project for a client that involved a lot of analysis. And I found, I just, I had all this energy that day, but not for that. I actually was feeling a lot of creative energy. And Lawrence, you and I are in the process of designing a a personal retreat where people can come and do personal reflection and visioning next year. And I had tons of energy to actually be thinking about that and designing things and focusing my energy on that. And I just thought, wow, I thought today would be about analysis and I had spent the whole previous day doing that, so I thought I could keep that vibe going. But actually my energy was of a very different type and quality. And sometimes the reverse happens where I think, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do all this design work or put my creative thinking to use for this project, and actually I can't quite conjure it. I have a different type of energy going. So I think that separate from fear, sometimes there are different ways that our life force manifests, and there's different flavors of it. There's different different shades of energy that emerge. And sometimes it's creative energy, and sometimes it's a very almost like a more linear energy, you know, I feel energized to do logistical things or do chores or get things done or do analysis. And that's, I don't know. So I think what I'm learning more and more is that when you work for yourself, you have to be really attuned to those different types of energy Mm -hmm. and how to manage them, because you just have to be able to predict a little bit when you'll be able to do certain types of work
2: based on the energy that you're feeling or not. I think that's Absolutely true. And I'm not even sure if that is a creative block. If I expect that one day I'm going to be able to sit down and do analytical work, and then I wake up that day and I can't because I have something else going, I'm not sure that that's at the level of being blocked around the analytical work because I have structures set up, hopefully, so that I can capture the creativity when it comes and deliver the analytical work by the time it needs to. (laughs) Yeah, when it's due. (laughs) But one thing I noticed... In at Infinite Growth, working with so many people around their future vision, getting back to the fear point of view I don't know if this is rooted in fear or not but one of the consistent reasons that I see people not following their life impulse is because they can't imagine how to do it Hmm. so Mm -hmm. if somebody's in a very fast-paced job that is sucking up most of their energy that they think they have to be involved in so that they can do X, Y, Z future thing that they need to do. And they've got various other obligations. It's really hard to actually develop tiny little creative practices in your life that support the flow of your vision when you're all wrapped up in a whole other system. And There's an aspect of fear. They they are afraid to jump out of that ship and go into the little boat that they've been dreaming of. (laughs) But there's also, I think, just a lack of ways to do it in people's minds.
1: And the it being imagining?
2: or Or practicing. Practicing. You know, it's like, if you want to be a writer, then you need to write. And so where's your space for writing? in your life? Or, why don't you think, you know, if you want to be a photographer and you like taking pictures on Instagram, isn't that enough? And I think, I mean, part of the, this capitalist situation that we're in right now is like, if somebody likes to make tacos, it's not enough for them to make tacos and serve it to their friends. It has to become a taco truck, side hustle, franchised business. (laughs) Commodity. (laughs) Right. Whereas like, If you love to make tacos, why don't you just make tacos? If you love to take pictures, why don't you just take pictures? If you love to write, why don't you write?
1: Yeah, I feel like part of what you're speaking to is the belief that if you love to do something, it has to be your livelihood. I feel like there's... You were also talking about like the need to grow something to the level of global business, like the franchise pathway. But even if you don't do that, or maybe they're connected, like the two beliefs are connected. Like, I have to grow this thing to be profitable and global, and this is the thing that has to provide for my well-being. So I can't have my full-time job or my over-full-time job and make tacos.
0: Like, so there's a way in which someone might have creativity flowing and then as soon as they need to make money from it or see it as a livelihood or some kind of commodity, that that might actually block their creativity in terms of producing that thing that was previously just flowing.
2: Yeah, because it's not flowing anymore. It's being directed. Hmm. Being directed by the market. What can I, how can I sell more of this in a more profitable way or being directed by the client around what they want? I mean, I lost the sound of my own voice. For just all of my creative work being funneled into client situations for so many years, it was actually quite quite a journey to recover my own creative impulse that's not based around what the client will like or want or needs to hear.
1: And I feel like that relates back to what you were saying, Maureen, about noticing what type of energy you have in a moment and then following it. Like if you are in a situation where you have to be responding to what the client needs, you you have to learn how to ignore (laughs) where your energy is or where it's coming from or what, yeah, what the impulse is. I like that you use that specific word that feels really resonant. Like, yeah, you just have to train yourself to ignore your own impulses. And that is, yeah, super, super destructive. I feel like we've talked about a couple of things around, like, so fear is one type of block, one type of creative block. And there's a couple of other things that we've sort of floated around. And I'm really... Curious how each of us have re- related to or experienced fear-based blocks, or have you?
2: Oh, I have. I had um, a few moments where I can remember one time in particular, I just got up on stage and given an exciting presentation to thousands of people about the environmental work that I was doing. And then I went away for the weekend to a cabin with a friend who just lambasted me for my views on the environment and accused me of all of these things that wasn't what I believed or what I meant, but the attack was so meaningful to me in that moment because I had just been really vulnerable on the stage sharing my vision and and sharing about the work I'd been doing. And it created... A fear, a very real fear for me that's different than like a trolling fear. But it actually created a fear in me that if I spoke my truth, that people who I cared about were going to get mad at me. And it really silenced me for quite a while, you know, to to be the communications director in me uh, is always trying to like, scenario plan how a message is going to be received. So I'm already working with that as a potential creative block that I have a communications director in my mind. So that just got amplified through this experience to really just be filtering and analyzing everything and really, really playing it safe with what I would publish.
1: Hmm. That's intense. And I think just one little example for me, when I, I guess it was three or four years ago when I started my public writing practice, and I keep very meticulous detailed notes about this on my blog now but for the first i told myself i was going to write every day starting like december 31st 2015 and then i i think i wrote maybe 12 posts like i wrote yeah i published 12 things in the month of january 2016 and then february 2016 i think i published three things And I think what happened was I told some, I told like a very small number of people about it. And then they saw it and I got feedback from them about it. And I was like, it was all positive feedback, but the fear came up was like, what if the feedback doesn't, Uh, what if it doesn't stay positive? And I just, what's the word? Like, regressed. Like, I regressed hard. Yeah. And it felt very, very fear based in hindsight.
0: That's interesting. I've gotten into the habit of not giving anyone feedback unless they want it. So I will ask them if they want it or wait until they ask me, which is actually, you know, challenging at first for someone who's very opinionated like myself. But (laughs) but I hadn't even thought about that aspect of it where even if the feedback would be totally positive, that someone's just anticipation of feedback in general might actually
2: be a creative block. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think that's part of why when we create loving environments for people to share, we can actually get through some of that stuff, you know, where there's agreements about what kind of feedback. My early my early stage work, I don't want feedback. I know the direction that it needs to go. The number one thing that I need to do is externalize it. The minute that I press send, it's clear to me where the gaps are, it's clear to me what I want to add. I don't know why, but there's something about externalizing the work that is enough for me to take it on my own to the next phase. And it's great, you know, to send it to someone and they they write back and they're like, yes, you know, amazing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. or just keep going, yeah. keep writing, you know, and that's enough, you know, And and I think particularly we're in such a critical moment in the culture, everything, we've talked about this before, how Everything is critiqued and dissected. And that's, I don't think that's helpful yeah, I've dubbed in early stage. I've dubbed it chronic critique
0: syndrome. Ooh, <laughs> yes. But that said, I will say with my photography practice, one of the most valuable things in my practice has been being part of a critique group. We literally call it a critique group, which is a standard practice among artists. But I gather three or four times a year with five or six other photographers and our teacher, and we share our work and get feedback on it. And the philosophy behind it is that after a certain point, you can't actually see your own creative work anymore because you're too close to it, and you need different perspective to help you kind of see it. And part of what's so valuable about that process is the editing out, like the people, the other artists saying, this photo doesn't work, like this image works, but these other ones don't. And then when you actually clear those away, your voice, you can, uh, you know, that's where I really learned to see my own voice, my own photographic voice was by having people help me say, no, these images don't work, you should lose them. And then what remains is so obviously, you know, my voice. So, but it, but it's done in a loving way and it's done in a very respectful way and it's very, Reciprocal, You know, we all look at each
2: other's work and, and share that. And it's done at a later stage in the process. Yes. It's, right. You don't have yes. those people right. standing there with you when you're snapping the photo. You don't have them standing there with you when you're making your first round of selects and, right. and cropping and, and doing your color correction. Exactly. And it's later in the process. Because I I mean, of course, working in film, working in communications, working as a writer, I love a good editor to come in and just shred it. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. want to see that true voice. But when we're in the seedling stage and you got boots all over your stuff, there's not going to be a garden. Right. Hmm. That's (laughs) That's a hilarious metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Trample the seedlings.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I know we all think about collective or collective creativity, creative consciousness as groups of folks. Like, I'm curious to get there, but I just want to say before thinking about that, it sounds like we're talking about like two different layers of blocks or maybe not layers. Like there's a trajectory and there's some of the blocks that we can deal with that are around just getting our stuff out in the world, like just pressing the shutter button, you know, publishing the, the piece. And there's some ways that we have to break through some of that stuff. And then there's like another layer out of, Like, okay, so I'm taking the photos, but I'm not sharing them broadly.
0: Well, this is an interesting point because, you know, the definition of a writer is not necessarily someone who shares their work, right? It's just someone Mm. who writes. Mm -hmm. And I think this gets back to the initial framing of our question about how creativity relates to life force. You know, because I think there is a value in just being creative and producing creative work you know, and that could be a meal, that could be the way you arrange the flowers on your table, anything. I think there's a value to getting in touch with that and expressing it in some way in your life, even if it's just for you. So I also don't, so there is this element of fear around sharing your work that's useful to overcome, but I also don't think it's necessary to share your work in order to be creative. And- I'm curious, Danielle, to hear from you because you talked about your journey and overcoming some creative blocks. You know, what did you learn over the course of that journey about this connection between creativity and
2: life energy? So much. (laughs) (laughs) I had this existential experience that I call the reckoning, where every night I would go to bed and pray that the reckoning would be over. And every morning I would wake up and start lighting candles and I'd be back in it. (laughs) And I just, I had some cracks in my life that I needed to go back and understand what had happened and... The way that I got pulled into it was through music from the time, all the way from the time when I was a child through currently. And I started cutting together this mixtape of all of these songs that are not mine, so I can't really ever publish it. And then going through old photos and reflecting on my life and trying to make sense of what had happened. And something shifted for me in that process When I started to, of course, as a communications director, I started thinking about my audience and had this glorious revelation that there was no audience for this piece of work, that this was mine and it was for me and that I was going to spend time on it and that actually my own creative work required time and space and that it was a part of my balanced perspective as a human being to be making creative work from the ways I was working in my garden to the ways I was preparing meals to the ways I was walking along the river to the ways that I was involved in this wild, expressive project that I'm actually going to turn into an installation and a sort of like three-dimensional experience. And I want to work with other people to bring them through their reckoning whatever it may be, trying to figure out how to do that. But the the point being that I had separated creativity and creative practice from my life force, but what I realized is that it actually is my life force, that it's completely intertwined, and that all of my activities are creative. And that framing has just actually unleashed a lot of happiness in me, you know, to not be compartmentalizing creativity, but to be bringing it in to—anytime it comes into my consciousness, I allow it to be there. Hmm. And it's just caused my expression to increase so much, you know, to be thinking of a card to a friend as practicing creativity or, yeah— allowing it to be in different domains of my life.
0: Yeah, in its I, own way. I think we often label certain activities as creative or not, but all of us do group facilitation processes and for me, designing an agenda is a highly creative process. You mm-hmm. know, it's like how am I going to bring this group through a journey even if it's you know 2 hours in a room together? from where they are to where they need to be in a way that feels <laughs> however I want it to feel, that's that's creativity. It's Absolutely. not just about making a piece of art or a piece of music or something like that.
1: Yep, and I find that, that when I'm in a room for which I've designed an agenda, <laughs> sometimes what needs to happen in the room is different than the agenda I designed. Mm-hmm. And so I then have to be a second type of creative, which is being present with what is moving And drawing on my intuition and my, you know, like my bag of tools, like my facilitator tools and experiences to create the proper experience to get them, as you said, from where they were at the beginning to where they wanted to go at the end.
0: Yeah, this is why I'm glad I did improv theater in college. You did improv theater in college? I did. What? I did, yeah.
1: I have all sorts of assumptions about improv crew and They're all being challenged right now. Okay, well, that'll
0: be another episode. But for this episode, we are actually out of time. Well, that's all for this episode of Life Radio. Thanks so much for listening to our collective reflection on modern life. We'd love to hear your reactions on creative blocks and how you overcome them. If you are on Instagram, you can find us at Life Radio Show. And we hope to continue the conversation with you there. Bye. 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 Bye.